Today, what we're looking at is this great love that has pursued us. And once we discover this great love, it gives us great joy. It makes us filled with joy. So when we look at the Bible, the Bible is primarily a book about a story of God coming to rescue us. And if you're reading the Bible and it doesn't sound like the greatest news that you have ever heard, then you are most likely misunderstanding what it's saying. And what the Bible's doing, it's going to great lengths. I mean, it's telling us things that sound way too good to be true. And so what the Bible keeps doing is it's going to great lengths to convince us that despite everything, despite what we think, what we feel, and what we see, despite it all, this great news of Christianity is true. The other thing that it's doing is it's being incredibly honest and raw about the situation that we're in, about life in this world. And at times, because it is honest and raw, it's offensive at times, and it's hopeful at times. But when you look at the Bible, and you look at the honesty and the rawness behind it, what it shows you is it gives us, if you look at it, and it tells us about the situation we're in, what it's showing us is that it is the only logical, the Bible gives us the only logical reason for why things are the way that they are. It, tells, it helps us make sense of the human experience. So today, the Bible's going to hold up a reality for us. All right, are you ready for this reality? Here's what the Bible tells us. You ready? Life in this world is like childbirth. That's what it tells us. It's being honest, it's being raw, and it says life in this world is like childbirth. But at the end of childbirth, there's great joy that comes. So this is fresh in my mind. We just had our daughter. She's not even two months old yet. And the experiences are different. The experience Elise is having is much different than the experience I'm having. So the mom is experiencing the pain firsthand. And it's intense. And then after it's all over, she's experiencing the joy firsthand before anybody else experiences the joy. So this could be similar to maybe you're walking through life and you're experiencing pain in your life. You're experiencing sorrow in your life. And then at the other end of the pain and sorrow, through actually the pain and sorrow comes great joy. Now, if you're the dad, you're watching, you're watching the pain happen and there's not really anything you can do about it. Like you can give encouraging words, but you're watching it. And this is similar to walking through life and maybe somebody you love is going through pain, and you can't fix the pain for them. All you can do is point them to the joy that comes on the other side of the pain. Now, this is what I, I mean, this is what I did with Elise. She wasn't, like, she, she's having our daughter. She's in labor, and I'm not saying, hey, Every mom goes through this. You just need to toughen up, okay? Just chill out. Stop yelling and screaming. This is not a big deal. I didn't say that. I said to her, she's almost here. She's almost here. She's almost here. And what I was doing, I was saying, there's joy that's coming through this sorrow. There's joy that's coming through this pain. If you want to make sense of the human experience, what you have to understand is that it is through the sorrow that comes joy. And to get to the joy, 
You've got to get through the sorrow first. Same as with childbirth. And that's what Jesus is trying to convince us today. So we're in John 16, verses 16 through 24. It's up on the screen if you want to follow along. So here's what Jesus says. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And a little while, you will see me. And some of, the, of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were, asked, so they were saying, what does he mean by this a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. By the way, this is like Jesus is always talking and people are always like, what is he talking about? So Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. And so he said, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you receive, that your joy may be full. To be human is to pursue joy and happiness. And it's to see our loved ones and to want to help our loved ones pursue joy and happiness. So as soon as you start, so you're chasing after you say, okay, I want to I be happy. I want to be joyful. What do I do? So you start chasing after joy and happiness. And what you realize is that you can't just simply chase joy and happiness. You have to chase joy and happiness through something. So you're looking for an object to place your affection on, thinking that that object will be able to give you joy and, effect, joy, joy, and joy and happiness that you want. So your advice for your loved ones is you want them to be happy, so you try to point them in a direction towards something that will give them joy and happiness. But the question is, are you pointing people in the right place? And are you pointing yourself in the right place? Here's what you got to hear. The, whatever in your pursuit of joy and happiness, the object, that the quality of the object that you go to for joy has a direct impact on the quality of joy that you're experiencing. The quality of the object you go to has a direct impact on the quality of joy you experience through that object. And what happens through the pain? Can you have joy through the pain because through that object? Now, our text says that the disciples are going to be filled with sorrow. Why? Because Jesus is leaving. But then they're going to rejoice when he comes back. Now, here's what you've got to see. The disciples' joy and sorrow is all dependent upon the quality of their relationship with Jesus. How close is he with them? He, he is saying... If you want joy, it's found in me, is what he's saying. In other words, if you want happiness, go after Jesus. 
But you can't just go to Jesus for happiness. You can't just use Jesus to get happiness. You've got to go to Jesus just to go to Jesus. And then the result of going to him is he'll produce happiness in your life. If you want your kids to be happy, if you want your spouse to be happy, point them to him. Jesus is, uh, he is the joy that you're searching for and that your loved ones are searching for. We just have to show them this. Now, now typically, okay, well, let's talk about parents. So typically, here's what we do. We've got our kids and we desperately, what do we want? We want our kids to be happy. And here's what, typically how we think is, and we're taught to think this way, is that if they can be successful, then they have the best opportunity to be happy. And so we want them very badly to get a great education because that gives them more potential to be happy. And we want them involved in extracurricular activities because if we have them involved in extracurricular activities like sports or whatever else it is, then they're going to have their, their, they're going to function in society well. We want to get the music lessons. We want to do this for them and that for them so that they might have the opportunity to be happy. Now, look, here's what we're doing. We've got them so busy now that they don't even have time to do something that Jesus says is the direct result of their happiness, is to pursue him. So what he's saying here is that he is happiness, and the best use of our time is actually to point our loved ones to him. Now, you can't make your kids happy, and your kids can't make you happy. Some of you are like, yes, I know this. Uh, my kids are not making me happy right now. They're driving me crazy. But listen, your spouse can't make you happy. You can't make your spouse happy, and you can't make yourself happy. What Jesus keeps telling us over and over and over again all throughout the Bible is, come to me for your joy. Happiness is dependent upon the quality of the object that we seek happiness through. So for me, my perspective every week, I'm looking out at you guys and I love you guys and I want you to be happy. And so for me, I got to say, okay, I know what will make them happy. They just need to go to, to Christ more and more and more. Do we believe that's true though? I'm fighting to show you all of the reasons why he is the object that will make you most happy, that will make your kids most happy, that will make your loved ones most happy. And here, here's what we saw last week. We can have access to him now through the Holy Spirit. So you think about it like this. So you're pregnant, you're going, you're, you have a baby, and you go get ultrasounds. And what the ultrasound does is the ultrasound lets you see the baby before the baby is born. So this is, in a sense, is what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. The Holy Spirit is helping us to see Christ in a way that we didn't before, so that then we can experience him and then have joy in him. But here's the thing. You don't really believe that he's going to make you the most happy. In fact, it sounds a little bit strange to say it. And, and if we're being honest... If we look at our lives, our lives are not... I mean, if you're a Christian, I'm speaking to you if you're a Christian. You said you've gone all in with Christ. Your lives are not a declaration that you believe he is going to make you more happy than anything else. Do you know how I know that that's true for us, for myself too? You know how I know that? Because of the way we read the Bible. You know what the, you know what the, what keeps, the Bible keeps telling us? 
is that this is how you experience Christ through the Bible. And so if you're pursuing joy, you're going to go to Scripture so that you might meet Christ more and more. And as you meet him, you have more joy because he is your joy. But listen, we're not reading the Bible like this is true. Because all of us are pursuing joy and happiness. And if we're really pursuing it and we really believe Jesus was our joy, I'm talking to the Christian right now, then we would be pouring through Scripture all the time. But we're not because we don't really think that Jesus is our joy. we got to be able to admit that. You have doubts, Christian, and, and they're proving themselves in the way that you're reading the Bible. And they're proving themselves in the way that you're reading, the, the way that you're praying. I mean, our lack of prayer is a testimony to the fact that we don't really believe Jesus is our joy. Otherwise, we'd be in prayer way more than we are. Is our lives a reflection that we believe Jesus will make us more joyful than anything else? That's what it means to be a Christian, to go to him for joy in the midst of the pain and sorrow of this life. There's no greater object to place your affections upon than him. That's what the Bible keeps on telling us over and over and over again. And that's why the Bible keeps saying, worship him. The Bible is not trying to convince you that he's a good teacher. The Bible's trying to convince you to go all in, to give your life over to him and to worship him. You'll be joyful if you do, because there's no greater object of more worth than him. Now, it doesn't mean your life is going to be perfect. What it means is that in the imperfections of your life, you have something perfect to hold on to that can give you, he can give you joy in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the sorrow of this life that is like childbirth. This is my prayer for, my prayer, every single day my prayer for you is that you would worship him. I pray, I thank God for you every single day and then I pray that you would just worship him. That's it, just worship him. Give yourself over to him. Go all in with him. Say there's nothing more worthy in my life than him. Now, does that sound extreme to you? It shouldn't sound extreme, and here's why. Because we are going all in with something all of the time. Whether, whatever it might be, to be human is to pursue joy. And whatever we think will give us the most joy, that is what we worship. That's what we end up bowing to. And we go all in with it. The question is, are, are we recognizing that we're doing it? And what is it that we're going all in with? So there's a common thinking that goes like this. I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be too Christian. Like, I don't want to be an extreme Christian. Now, here's, here's what I say this. That is a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to just be an just use the expression extreme Christian. Because here's why I say that. To become a Christian is in one sense it's weird in the sense that you're finding your ultimate joy in a risen savior. Now if it's not true that's extremely weird. But if it's true, Christianity is true, then it's the most logical thing to do. If it's true. But besides that, the more extreme you go in with Christ, here's what it does. It actually makes you more normal. Because to be human, to become more human, is to become more at peace, 
more satisfied, more joyful. And so to go all in with him, and he gives you all that, that, then he is actually making you more human, more normal, more the way you're meant to be. The reality is we're going all in with something. The question is, what is it? Because it's what you think is going to give you the most joy. So what is it? If life in this world, listen, if life in this world is like childbirth, then it, it causes us to do two things. The first thing is that, first, when we're going through mild pain in this life, we're looking for something to distract us. So we're all going through mild pain to some degree. We're looking for something to distract us from the mild pain or in desperation. Second, we're reaching for something in the deep, intense pain that will bring us some relief. So sometimes, so this is what a lot of you might be thinking right now. You know what? My life's not that bad. Like, I have a good life. I'm not sorrowful. And, and here's what I want you to hear, if that's you. Maybe that's true compared to other people in your life. That you're experiencing less sorrow than them. But your life is nowhere close to what it's meant to be like. You are meant to be running in freedom with joy. And this is the, what you are made for. And right now, you're, just, you're settling thinking that you're joyful just because you're comparing yourself to other people. But that's nowhere close to the life that you were made for. So here's what we do. So if we're like this and we have mild pain in our lives, we're looking for distractions from the mild pain. And what these distractions do is they grab the attention of our soul and they become like food for our soul. And we're going to them for nourishment and we're going to them to like we're eating whatever it is and it's numbing us from the pain that we're experiencing. At least we think we're doing that. And what we begin to do is we start to worship those things. Listen up, guys. We start to worship those things. So I want to give you an example of this. You can see, you see if you can figure out what it is. So everybody runs to this place. They get there early for some fellowship. They're waiting for the doors to open. And the doors open and people come flooding in and they go to their assigned seat. Maybe it's the same seat they go to every week. Maybe not. I don't know. But they go to their assigned seat. And before everything gets started, they're signaled to stand up. And so they stand up and some music is playing, some songs are playing, and it's getting them excited. Then everything starts. And when it starts up, people are so excited. They're lifting their hands up in worship. They're giving high fives. I mean, they're excited. They're dancing. They're excited about what is happening. And maybe their marriage is struggling. Maybe they've made some bad decisions recently, but it's okay because they forgot all about it in this moment. And then there's time for communion when we're eating and we're drinking and all this, this whole thing, this goes on for hours and hours. And then they leave talking about it on their way home. They're driving, they're giving each other high fives and it is awesome. And I want to tell you what I have just described to you is not Sunday morning worship service, but a Sunday afternoon worship service at the football. football. There you go. Thank you, Joe. So now, li now listen, I, I'm not, I love watching football, especially when my fantasy guys are playing, but listen, if an alien, and I'm not saying that I believe in aliens, this is not a church that says we believe in aliens, okay, you heard that right, but I'm saying hypothetically, if an alien dropped onto the earth and they watched us at the football game, maybe what they might say is, you know, the gods of the earth, they wear helmets. 
and people all rally around to watch them. And people have, there are different gods, and you wear the shirt of whatever god that you want to, to get this ball across the line. And it's like they are worshiping. They are excited. I mean, it is, it is a good time. And, by the way, I want you to think about this. Think about the amount of time and energy and excitement that is spent going into a football game. And it becomes far more acceptable for that time, energy, and excitement to go into the football game than it does on a Sunday morning at church. To go over on time. Like, let's say I kept you guys here for like an, an hour and 35 minutes. You would be like, you're ruining my Sunday right now. But if a game that normally goes like three, three and a half hours goes into overtime, it's like, awesome. Keep it going. Double overtime. Man, this is amazing. Now, I, again, I love watching football. But like if we just look in it from the outside, like an alien coming in, like this kind of looks weird. If we're being honest about the way it looks, it looks a little strange. And here's what we're doing. Now, I'm not saying these are bad. These are the things I'm about to talk about. They are good things. But it's, the problem is when we use them to get joy, to ultimate joy, when we use them to get that. So, so we all have these small, worshipful distractions that are distracting us from the pain of this life. So it's not, and if, if you're like thinking, man, I'm so glad my husband is hearing this right now, that he's worshiping football. Listen, or if you're like, I don't get the whole football thing. Listen, you can do this with anything. Shopping is a way to distract yourself from the pain and sorrow of this world. Travel is a way to distract yourself from the pain and sorrow of this world. You can run away from it, but eventually you got to come home. Money. The amount of time we spend thinking about money is, could it be actually something to distract us from the pain of this world? Sex, we use sex as a distraction from the pain of this world. Pornography is a way to escape the pain of this world. If the pain of childbirth is like the pain in this world, we're trying to get relief from it. And we're using whatever we can to do it. And let me show you what this looks like. So this is the same thing. Let's say when our daughter was born, let's say during labor, I looked at all the pain and I looked at the doctors and I was like, man, this is stressful. This is too much for me. I need a break from this. I'm going to turn on the game. So find the TV, put the game on. And I say to Elise, hey, can you just keep it down a little bit? This is a little bit too much for me. I just need a distraction real quick. Uh, doctors, keep it down. You just, let's just press pause on all of this. I just need to get out of the pain for a minute. Or if in the middle of, of labor, Elise is like, this pain's too much. Can, can you hand me my phone? I'm going to do some online shopping right now. See, it sounds ridiculous. And here's what I want you to see. God, God is seeing us, and he's seeing us use all of these distractions, and it looks the same as what I just described to you. Because he sees us in pain, and we're trying to numb the pain with things that don't make any sense at all. But we're doing it, and he's seeing us do it, and he's like, ah, oh, if you will just come to me, you're going to have what you need in the midst of the pain and sorrow of this life, in the midst of the pain of childbirth. 
There is no remedy for the pain. What it's saying, what the verses are saying is, fix your eyes upon what is to come. And if you can do that, the same way I was trying to tell Elise, fix your eyes on our daughter who's about to be born. If you could do that in the midst of the pain, then you're holding on to the joy that is to come. Or maybe... Here's another thing that we do. Instead of having like these maybe more surface level things that we do to distract us from pain, we go for something more meaningful. And we say, you know what? I feel the sorrow of this life. I'm going to serve people. I'm just going to serve people. And you know, you know the people that I'm talking about, the people that make all the rest of us look bad. Like they're just constantly giving and serving. And they're like these humanitarians that are doing all of these amazing things for people. There's like the type of person that is in the midst of childbirth, like she's going to have her baby, but she hears someone screaming in the other room and she says, I got some mites chips here. I I know I'm about to have this baby, but I'm going to get up and go to this other room and check and see how these people are doing. You're like, what are you doing? Go back. No, I got to serve these people. And what the person is doing is they're trying to get joy through serving. And what Jesus is saying is that's not going to work either. It sounds so nice that you're doing that, but you're trying to find joy by serving others. And Jesus says, that will not work either. And this is all, what I've just described, these are mild ways that we're feeling pain, so then we go to mild things to worship. Now, what about when it's intense pain? That is when we turn to religion. When we start going through these intense pain, that is when people typically will turn to religion. Now, the question is, which religion is going to give you joy? Well, listen, no religion actually besides Christianity is, is actually very concerned about joy and happiness. Only in Christianity are you said, okay, go to a person and this person will give you joy even in the midst of the sorrow of this life. That's, that is very unique to Christianity. This idea of pursuing joy or pursuing happiness, that is a very Christian idea. But, Here's what also Christianity says, where we've missed it. It's actually through the sorrow. When the sorrow comes, it's through that sorrow that you can actually take hold of a greater joy that you, would, that you are now able to take hold of that you couldn't have taken hold of had the sorrow not come. This is very key to understand. So Jesus here, what he talks about, he's, he talks about he's going to come to us and he's going to leave. And he's telling his disciples, I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back and then I'm going to leave again and I'm going to come back. Now, this is a pattern all throughout the Bible where God does this. He leaves, come back, leaves, come back. So we, we start off in the beginning, in the garden. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. And then humanity says, I want this world to be ours. We want this world to be ours, not yours, God. And so in a sense, we've just now kicked God out of this world so that it could be ours. And by doing that, we've actually kicked joy out of the world. And then humanity cries out to God. This is, this is the story of the, of the Bible. Humanity cries out to God, and God comes back to us in glimmers. And this kind of keeps happening. And then God answers in a major redemptive way where he, epically he comes into the world in Christ. Now, this again, this sounds ridiculous if it's not true. But if it is true, this is the greatest hope we could ever have. 
So God comes into the world to pursue us in Christ. And then he's with the disciples and he says, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for you. And then I'm going to come back again. But then I'm going to leave again and go to the Father. But then I'm going to come back. And when I come back that time, all things are going to be made right. Now, what I want you to see is historically, we can see God doing some major redemptive activity, major redemptive activity that gives us joy. There are major events where we see God coming for us, pursuing us. But what I also want you to see is that there are minor redemptive events that are happening in your life right now. And it's through the Holy Spirit, that's what we saw last week, it's through the Holy Spirit that God is revealing himself to us. And as he does this, we have these glimmers of joy that are happening. So it's the same way with contractions. A contraction comes and it's sorrow, but then the relief from the contraction, it stops and it's joy because the contraction has stopped. Um, Now, what I'm saying is that there are times in your life where you're going to experience Christ more. And you're going to go to him and you're going to experience him in your mind with your doing, and with your experiences. And it's going to be amazing. And I don't, I don't know why. And there's going to be other times where you go to him and you're pursuing him and he feels distant. Why? I don't know. That is life in this world. Life in this world is like childbirth. That's what he's saying. It's just happening that way because we are in a world that is messed up. We're in a world that has a virus in it. Sometimes I, I see Christ and I have these profound movements where I'm experiencing him and I get this great joy and there's other times where I am extremely frustrated because I want to experience him and it's not happening. That's contractions in this world. We need to think of it like this. This world of ours, it's filled with both sorrow and joy. And it's filled with both because in one sense we're in the pain of childbirth. But you know what else? Childbirth can be joyful if you have your eyes fixed on what is to come. It's bringing you closer to paradise life in this world. So here's what I want to say. The pain tells you you're closer to heaven. Now, why would I say that? Pain tells you you're closer to heaven. Well, here's why. One, because the more intense childbirth gets, the closer you are to having a baby born into the world. The same way the, the, the more intense life in this world gets, the closer you are, in a sense, to heaven. Now, but here's what, here's what else I want to say. This is the one I want to hone in on. So listen to this. Listen, listen, listen. Pain draws you closer to heaven now because it draws you closer to Christ now. So every bit of pain, if you will let it, can draw you closer to Christ. Here's why. Because what Christianity promises is a God who goes to experience pain and sorrow 
for you. So what it does is the pain that you feel, it drives you right into the heart of your Savior who's on the cross, your rescuer who's come for you, drives you right to him and you see him on the cross. And here's what that does to you. You've just now been brought to Christ who is joy because of your sorrow. And when that happens, now you're having joy because you've been brought to Christ. Do you see that? So it's actually through pain. Now, listen, I'm not saying you need to pursue pain. That's not what I'm saying. But joy can come through the pain if you will let your pain drive you to Christ. So I want you to know that your wounds that you have from your own sin or your wounds from your own life story or your wounds from whatever it is, They can draw you into more joy if you will let your wounds drive you to the one who was wounded to death for you. Listen, listen, listen. The one who was wounded to death for you. It's through, the Bible says it's through his wounds we are healed. Now listen to what happens. It becomes through our wounds that we are healed because our wounds are now driving us to the one who was wounded to death for us. Don't you see this? Your wounds can actually heal you because they're driving you to the one who will heal heal you eternally. So every wound you have, if you will let it take you to Christ, all it could do is make you better. All it could do is heal you more because you're going to him. The same is true for the people you love. You see people you love going through something horrible and you can't do anything, like you're, you feel so helpless. The thing, the best thing that you can do is to somehow help them come to Christ. Now, I'm not telling you how you should do that because it's different for everybody. But if the people you love can somehow be brought to Christ, like if, if we say with our kids, let's not distract them from all of this stuff in life all of the time, let's have some times where we're bringing them to Christ so that when the wounds do come, they know where to go in the midst of it. Otherwise, we just have to pick up another distraction. They're hurting. Let's find something else for them to do to distract them from the pain. No, bring them to Christ. Same with us. The great hope of Christianity is that you can take whatever's coming in your life and you go to Christ and he will bring somehow more joy out of the experience because he has used what has happened to you to bring you to a place where you were not before. Our joy is dependent upon the object, the quality of the object that we pursue joy through. Without him, anything else you pursue joy through, it just dies. So then your joy is gone. But if you pursue him, he has risen from the grave. If it's not true, it sounds ridiculous. But if it is true, it is the greatest hope that humanity could ever know. And so we chase after him in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow. And he does redemptive work in us. He somehow brings more joy out of the experience than we had, would have had had we not experienced the pain and suffering of this world. Go to him and he will birth joy in you now and one day your joy will stand complete as you stand before him. All right, let's pray.